Quite a few years ago, as uh, a young person in ministry, I was praying, God, show me who I need to love. And I kept praying this prayer, and one day, God startled me, and I think just put this in my heart, in my mind, of saying, Paul, the people God wants you to love are right in front of you. People I want you to love are right in front of you. And I think that's a great way for us to start today, this realization that the people God wants you to love are right in front of you. You don't have to go looking for them. They are as plain as the nose on your face. Now let's hope your nose isn't as plain as that one. The people God wants you to love are right in front of you. I'm going to invite you to do something that you've wanted to do every Sunday since you've been here, is look at the people around you, turn around and look at the person behind you, look at the person in front of you, and I want to give you the opportunity to look around this room, and then I want you to hear this one more time. The people that God wants you to love are right in front of you. Last week, we introduced this concept of the need for us. The need for us is now more than ever. The need to love one another is now more than ever. But love takes intentionality, and love takes effort, particularly in the context of community with the people that you're together with week in and week out, day after day. We talk a lot about love in the church and the need to love God, the need to love other people. But have you ever wondered about what that actually means when we talk about loving people? So I thought for today to help us with the connection um, of love and faith that we would talk about the math of love, not the love of math. Some of you have a love of math, but today I want to talk about the math of love and actually put an equation to it to try to help you grasp the reality of what it is that Jesus is inviting us into in loving the people who are right in front of us. Now, some of you are looking at that and shuddering because it's bringing back like memories of school that you left a long time ago. But let me spell out this equation for you, F equals L times A plus B to the 100th power. It's really simple. Faith equals... Love times your attitude and behavior towards others to the hundredth power. The hundredth power doesn't mean anything. It just means a lot. And if I could try to, you know, maybe, maybe one of you would come up with a better equation, but if I could try to put love into an equation, it would look something like this. I think this is the kind of thing that Jesus invited his followers to live out uh, to embrace and following him. And particularly today, there's two followers that I want to focus in on, a guy named James and a guy named John, who happen to be brothers, that followed Jesus, and they wrote some letters that actually express this in really powerful ways. But if we could carry on with this equation of what love is, also what love is not, that love is not equal to a noun. And in our culture, we often talk about, you know, falling in love or, or love is something that happens to you. And I don't really think from a biblical definition of what God calls us to as Jesus followers that love is actually a noun. I think love is a verb. 
It is not something that happens to you. It is a choice that you make. And when you take that idea that the people that God wants you to love are right in front of you, then the choice is before you to express attitude and behavior towards them in the manner of Jesus as an outworking of your faith. Love, in many respects, is faith applied. So this one brother of the pair that we're looking at today, a guy named James who was a pillar leader in the early church, particularly in the church in Jerusalem, James wrote a really practical letter to Jewish Christians who were scattered all over the known world at that time. And so he wrote this letter, and somehow it just got out to all the corners of the world in the Jewish communities. And James wrote this really practical letter, and it's so practical in so many ways, but it really drives home this equation of faith being equivalent to love being worked out in attitude and behavior towards others. So listen to what James writes in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. You know, he's been, he's been starting off his letter just with some encouragements, and then he really gets into the practical things that need to be addressed. And then he writes this in verse 14 of chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then don't give the person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless if it doesn't. Now, someone would argue, well, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And for James talking about good deeds, he's literally talking about loving other people. Loving people, putting action to your faith. And I think that the love of God in you allows you to see people that you maybe otherwise wouldn't see that when we turn to Jesus and we follow him, we begin to see people with the eyes that God sees them with. God gives us his eyes to see people and to focus our direction. And Jesus makes this wonderful connection between faith and love. And James has taken what he's experienced in Jesus and he's just putting it in this letter to the people that he's trying to encourage. And saying to them, the people God wants you to love are right in front of you. And make sure that that love gets worked out in action, that your faith is applied through your love. And I think for James, this idea about Christian maturity and having faith in God, faith in Jesus, and discipleship really comes down to the evidence of your attitude and behavior towards other people. So I think for James, he's saying, do you want evidence or fruit of maturity and growth in Christ? Actually, it's just shown by the way that you behave towards other people and the attitude that you have toward them as the best evidence 
for faith. So look at this verse again, verse 14. We'll put it up on the screen for you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And I think, what a great question. You know, the, the evidence of a transformed heart, or what we would call a salvation, is actually your ability to love other people. In particular, the people that God has put right in front of you. Day after day, week after week. And you know, as a young man, when I was praying, God, who do you want me to love? And then he just placed it in my heart, in my mind. Paul, the people I want you to love are right in front of you. Do you know who he was showing me? It's my family. I was so caught up in trying to love the congregation and trying to love the community, and, and God was saying, dude, you're an idiot. Like, I put these people right in front of you every day of your life. Love them. And then other times when I've had the same prayer, God has shown me other people that are right in front of me. But for that particular moment, it was my family. He's like, live your faith by the way you live out your good deeds towards these people. Now, James had a brother named John. I think it's the John that wrote this letter. He wrote three letters. First John, second John, third John. And they get shorter as you read them. And they're right near the back of your Bible. But John, of all the followers of Jesus, capitalized on this idea of loving other people as the best way to show our love for God. And I think John draws out what James has already done, this idea that love requires action, that love is a verb. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, as he's been writing to these people about, about loving each other, he, he finishes the chapter with this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he has given us this command. Jesus has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. I love it. Love requires action. The people God wants you to love are right in front of you. And what he does in this letter is he says, God has shown us how much he has loved us. And one of the things as you read the scriptures that you discover about God is that God, as the God of love, in the same chapter, verse 8, John makes it unequivocal. He says, God is love. Not God is loving, but the very essence of what love is in the way we understand it is sourced in our Creator. And as you read the scriptures from Genesis through to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, what you will see is a God who is working out his love towards humanity again and again and again. That love becomes action. 
and it can't do anything but to become action. And when we're able to love God, then by default, it means that we are able to love others because God has put his love in our hearts. And I think what John is drawing out, what James is drawing out, is that love is always seen and that love is always experienced. Rather than something that's thought about and left in the ether and discussed theoretically, But love as defined by Jesus is both seen and experienced over and over again. This is where it gets really fun because John is writing to these uh, Christian people, again, kind of scattered all over the place. And he's driving home this point about the people God wants you to love are right in front of you. And he's talking about how God has sent his son as a sacrifice for us. This is how God loves us. This is love in action. This is how faith gets worked out when we follow Jesus. And then he writes this in verse 12. And I want you to see these words on the screen. No one has ever seen God. Okay, look at me. Don't look at the screen. How many of you here have seen God? Yeah, you're like, I want to put my hand up, but I'm not sure. No one has ever seen God, but look what he says next. If we love each other, then God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has ever seen God, but if we figure out how to love each other, they will. I just can't get over the power of those words. Our chances of seeing someone come to experience God and his love and understand who Jesus is are exponentially greater in how well we love than in how much we can tell them or give them information. And I have said this over the years, and I'm going to say it again. God is more concerned with how well you love than how much you know. Let me make this clear. I want to encourage you to be in your Bible every day if you can. And read it. Study it memorize it, but to this end, that it might lead you more and more to Jesus, who will increase your love for others and will draw you deeper into his life. But something I've learned after 30 years of ministry, don't take this the wrong way. You always know when someone says, don't take this the wrong way, like, okay, be ready, right? I think that most Christians in churches who have followed Jesus for a number of years know more than they could ever apply in their life. And the trick is not for you to to learn more and get more data and more information crammed in your head. 
the true element of maturity is how you're able to integrate and let what you know work out of you. Becoming more like Jesus, not knowing more about Jesus. So God is more concerned with how well you love than how much you know. But let what you know drive you deeper and deeper into his life. The people God wants you to love are right in front of you. The people God wants you to see are right in front of you. And we've been talking about the need for us. So last week we looked at developing your heart. Today we're looking at focusing your eyes. Developing your heart like Barnabas, acts of sacrifice that communicates to other people, you matter, we care about you, you belong, you're one of us. And you can go back if you weren't here last week and listen to that. And today it's about focusing your eyes, about seeing the people that God has called you to love who are right in front of you. And a wonderful opportunity that you have today is that you have this privilege of being part of this community. And your attitude and behavior towards your involvement in this community are a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful way for you to actually love the people that are right in front of you. So let me ask you this question. Who do you need to see today in focusing your eyes? The people God wants you to love are right in front of you. And now I'm going to nuance that a little bit. The people God wants you to love were right in front of you. And then we dismissed them uh, 20 minutes ago. And this is where I, I want to take some time this morning and kind of do like a little town hall meeting. There's been a reason for talking about this today, and part of it is to get us to a place where maybe we need some help to see the people that God wants us to love. Three months ago, stood up here, and we said, hey, um, interesting year, we're making some financial adjustments, we want you to know where we're at financially, and we're inviting you to participate in this offering of equal sacrifice, not equal giving. And we had an amazing response uh, from you as a congregation in addressing that financial need that we had. Now today in the fall, as we kick off another ministry year, I would like to just raise your awareness on where we're at in our ministry programming and the needs that we have. And so maybe I could point out for you today that the people that God wants you to love are right in front of you. They're the little people that are running around in this congregation and as we're um, reforming and, and becoming a family again um, post-COVID, we still have a lot of children and teenagers, junior highs and senior highs. And so I want to just list a few areas where I would encourage you to put love in action, to live out your faith in meaningful ways that impact people profoundly. And at the top of that list is our children and youth ministry volunteers, particularly for our children. I asked Christine if she wanted to be up here and talk about our children's ministry today, and she's our children's director, and she um, is having to teach. And 
at this point in the year, we have a very high need for more people to step up and volunteer to work with our children. And I want to ask if you would be willing to love them through serving them by being one of our volunteers on our, t- on our kids' volunteer team. And that would require uh, once a month uh, showing up, coming early, being given a packet that is all prepared for you. We make this as easy as we possibly can for you. Where you have the materials, you have the lesson, you have the crafts, the videos there. A lot of people say, I don't know about teaching. I'd be willing to help. I'm not sure about teaching. And, and we would say it's, it's actually really easy because kids are very forgiving. They, they, they're just glad that you're there. We even script out what you could say if that's an issue for you. And why I'm telling you that is because Christine needs a minimum of four to six volunteers to get involved as soon as possible to work with our children. We could use youth volunteers as well, but the children are far more important. We're doing okay in our youth programming. Our children, we need people to step up and be involved. This is not a call for those of you that are already doing many things to do more. Okay? But this is for a lot of us who may not even know that this is a need and to say, we will do everything we can to train you and equip you, put you in a team, not throw you in the deep end, but make this a good experience for you. And there's a job description in the lobby um, along the, the, the front wall where the Welcome Center is. There's another cart. There's little signs there. Christine will be there. Uh, she'll be wearing the blue shirt. She should be in that area. And you could talk to her about children's programming and what that's like. We do have a child protection plan, which means if you haven't been here for six months, you're going to have to wait. But please don't wait to talk to Christine if you're new and you're interested in being involved because she can still get you um, going in that process. There's the vulnerable sector check that has to be done. We take the safety of our children very seriously. And also, it's good protection for you as volunteers. But she would love to have you come and talk to her. And I want you to know that this is actually, if we had to say where's the priority and what we need to do this fall, it would be that. For you to see the people that God needs you to see, our little people, and then say, I will love these kids. I can do this once a month and be part of this team and have a chat with her. And she'll work with you on that, on that process. Next on the list is our, our rental team. So, one of the things that I like to give Steve a hard time about in leaving is that he fills some of, some of our holes, and he's been working with our, um, with our rental hosts. So, we have lots of groups that rent our facility. Often, they come in here, and they, are, um, they need uh, hosts to be there for them. So, Steve's daughters were two of our hosts, and, and whatever reason, they want to move with them, so they don't want to stay here. So we've lost some rental hosts, and we had another rental host that's gone back to school full-time and is out of town. So rental hosts are actually not even a, a volunteer position because you get paid to do it. You come, you make coffee for the group, you smile at them, you be nice, and then you clean up the coffee when they're done. And you get paid an hourly rate for doing that. It's part of the fee that they pay for renting the facility. But we are actually needing some rental hosts, people who are available in the daytime that would say, yeah, I could come give three or four hours and actually make some money for coffee or taking my 
significant other out for supper later this week. Um, and so if you could be part of that, then I'm going to invite you to talk to Steve. Same place where you might go talk to Christine, out the back, beside the Welcome Center. You'll see the little colored folded cards on the table in the different areas. So that's for rentals. For our tech team, the invisible people back there, unless something goes wrong, then they're not invisible. Um, we have great training, and we can always use more people to be involved in that. Again, during the week, some of our rental groups require tech needs, and we'd love to train you and get you involved in doing that. Our guest services. How many of you had coffee when you came in today? Admit it. It's an addiction. We know. Coffee. Front door. You had someone meet you at the front door. People at the Welcome Center. Uh, we would love to see you be involved in that. And actually, if you're new here and you came last week and you kind of like hanging out with this, be like, great, you can make coffee next week. We'll show you how. Welcome to the family. Like some of those things, you can be involved right away. And, and I'm making you aware of this because you need to understand something. If we don't have lots of people being involved in helping together, then it's a lot more work for a few. And then they start to get tired out. And so again, some of you are doing lots of things. So you just ignore all this. Because I am not asking you to do more. This is not about guilting. We don't use fear, obligation, or guilt. So I hope I'm not making you feel any of those things. I just want you to be aware of what's going on. And I want you to be aware of the fact that we've had 10 baptisms, um, three or four more coming in October, that we've got kids everywhere, that we've had an opportunity to minister to the school, that God is giving us all kinds of opportunities to love the people right in front of us. He's literally bringing them to us. And we're inviting you to be part of how we do that. Our facilities team. We've got a fantastic facilities coordinator that could just use some people that would step up and say, you know what, we'll band together and we'll take care of the gardens for the year. Three, four times a year, we'll just make sure that the gardens are taken care of. Things like that. I'm raising all these for you because I just want you to, to go and have a look. Pick up a, a job description. There's a form there that you can pick up, a volunteer form. You can tick off the boxes, leave it at that booth there. We'll collect it. You can go online um, to our homepage. Scroll down midway. You'll see a, a, a line that says, join the team. And you can click that, and you can volunteer online. You could do it on your phone today before you leave. The people God wants you to love are right in front of you. Love uh, requires action. We're inviting you to express your love to the people that God has put right in front of you in meaningful, tangible, powerful ways. Tuesday nights, just another opportunity to let God develop your heart, focus your eyes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our little ones that teach us what the kingdom of God looks like, who teach us so often uh, what love looks like. Thank you for the myriad of opportunities to be involved and to live out our love for others as an expression of our love for you. Thank you for this community, these beautiful people, 
and how you're forming us into this new family. And we're so grateful. And we want to say thank you. And we pray, God, that you'd allow us to open our eyes, to focus, and to see people the way you see them. Opportunities to let love run rampant. In the name of Christ, amen.